The Dobbs ruling and the overturning of Roe v. Wade has put the abortion conversation back into the hands of the people, into the hands of Christians and pro-lifers across the country and around the world. And now is our time to shine, folks. Let's tune into a real cool, cool conversation with Mark Crutcher from Life Dynamics on how we can be involved in bringing about foundational change in our countries and around the world based on this Roe v. Wade overturning. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Cam. I am the host of the show, and it's a joy to have you along as always. Thanks a ton for tuning in, whether this is your first time tuning in or you've been a longtime follower. Super grateful for your uh, participation because this show is all about equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion. Conversations are happening now more than ever, regardless of whether pro-lifers are prepared for them or not. And so why not be prepared for them? That's what the show is all about, giving you apologetics tools to how to, on how to navigate the challenging conversations you might be faced with. Abortion can be awkward, it can be uncomfortable to talk about, but it's so vital that we step up to the plate and are ready to have those meaningful conversations. And so that's what we're all about. I hope that you have learned something from the show before. And I'm excited to continue this little series that we're on right now, getting um, the, the thoughts on the aftermath of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, we talked to Father Frank Pavone. We're talking with a guy named Mark Crutcher today. He's been on the show before. He's a great friend of the program. Super cool guy. He's the director, president, head honcho. I, I don't know exactly his title. He, he leads Life Dynamics Incorporated in the States. He um, has been a pioneer when it comes to undercover pro-life journalism. You, you think of Dave, David Delayden and Lila Rose. They learned it from Mark Crutcher. He's incredible. He, um, he's he got a couple of books out that I'll drop in the show notes, including Lime 5, which really was a, a heart-wrenching expose on the abortion industry and just the horrors that are perpetrated within the industry, uh, within clinics, within um, lots of different capacities, and just absolutely mind-boggling what Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers get away with. And so I'm really excited to have him back on today to talk a little bit about, again, the aftermath of the Dobbs ruling. Where do we go from here? Um, this is a theme. I know this is a theme on a lot of pro-life podcasts and blogs and whatnot, but I think it's so important to understand what's going on around us because communication is uh, anchored on what is being received and what is being considered by those with whom we're engaging. And so it's not just about us form formulating a message that sounds good to our ears, but what do we need to know for the sake of the people that we are engaging? Because believe it or not, those who support abortion are not our enemies. They are people that we need to connect with in a meaningful way, and polarization only serves abortion. The further away we push each other, the more likely it is that we become entrenched. And when we become entrenched, it's not us who loses. It's preborn children who lose out. And so we need to be the ones breaking down barriers. We need to be the ones finding common ground. We need to be the ones getting active and engaged and connecting with members of our church, members of our family, members of our community who might not support the pro-life worldview yet and get them involved in that. And so I got a real cool conversation coming up here with Mark Crutcher. I hope that you enjoy it. And if you want to learn more about the show, if you're new to the program and want to support the program, 
You go to ProLifeGuys.com or Patreon.com slash ProLifeGuys to learn more about what we're up to and how you can be involved in growing the movement. Here's my conversation with Mark Crutcher, leader of Life Dynamics. All right, folks, Mark Crutcher, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How is life in abortion-free Texas right now? Uh, well, it's better than it's been in many years, that's for certain. And um, I think it's going to get even better. The Attorney General of Texas on Friday, Friday morning, when the decision was announced, he, um, he made it clear that abortion was now illegal in Texas mm-hmm. and that they would be enforcing the law. And then he gave his whole staff in celebration, he gave his whole staff the day off and they declared that, uh, that date, um, f- uh, life, life saving date for the state of Texas or something every year. So what yeah. supposedly going to ce- celebrate that. So it's pretty neat. That is fantastic. I'm sure this is a day that, that has been maybe not marked on the calendar, but, but looked forward to certainly by, by the fine folks at life dynamics. Um, Maybe walk me through. What was this something that you? So I'm sure that you guys probably saw the the leaked initial um, court documents and whatnot. Was this something right. that you guys were expecting to be um, exactly as delivered? Was it something that you guys were cautiously optimistic about, or were you anticipating or, or worried about a complete change from the leaked documents? I guess my thought was that once the document was leaked, and I still think they need to get to the bottom of that and prosecute whoever was responsible for it. But once the document was leaked, I don't think the Supreme Court could back up at that point. I think that the pro aborts engineered this. I think the Democratic Party, the Democrat Party in America was behind the whole, th- the whole leak thing. And I think it backfired on them. I, th- I think they anticipated that there'd be such a, a groundswell against it that the Supreme Court would change their mind. But I think what actually happened was, first off, there wasn't a groundswell against it. And secondly, um, they kind of locked the Supreme Court in. They couldn't back down then. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times we've seen this as a history of the, pro, of the pro-abortion side is that um, they don't always think about the subsequent consequences of one of their actions. And uh, this was a good example of that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And so walk me through what Friday looked for you guys. You, I, I don't know if you guys had this marked as the day that the, the opinion was going to come out. Was it something that you guys were waited with bated breath? Was it a little bit caught off guard with it coming out on Friday? Or, or what did Friday look like for you guys at Life Dynamics? No, we, we talked about it in the morning in our, in our morning yeah. staff meeting. And uh, uh, everyone agreed that that was probably going to be the day because mm. other decisions were coming down. And uh, it just looked like Friday was going to be the day they were going to come down with it. Um, and of course we were hoping that we would get exactly what we did get. We didn't know that that was going to be the case. Um, but we were certainly uh, hoping that that's what we would get. And, and we did. And now we go forward. Love it. Love it. And and let's start talking about what happens going forward. I think that this is something that not only a lot of um, American leaders have talked about, but American pro-life leaders, global pro-life leaders, that this is certainly a huge victory worth celebrating, but there's a lot of work to be done. What what does the future look like for Life Dynamic and the American pro-life movement? And maybe we'll talk about the the global pro-life movement later, but does anything change Monday after Roe v. Wade falls for Life Dynamics, or is it kind of business as usual? What, what does this look like going forward for you guys? Well, no, it's not business as usual. We've, we've now entered phase two yep. of the effort to protect the unborn. Uh, phase one is over, and we won phase one when we were told 
for the last almost 50 years that we had no chance of it. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've been at this over 35 years full time myself. I cannot tell you the thousands of times I've been told that that I was crazy, that Roe would never fall, that this was permanent. It was forever. Um, just and I, I can't tell you the number of times people pro aborts would tell me, look, it's legal. Just get over it and move on. Get on with your life. Well, here we are. So now I'm going to tell you it's uh, it's not constitutional anymore. Get on with your life and get over it. That's where we are. And um, so now what happens is that the battle goes from the from the uh, federal level to the state level. Each state is going to be allowed to determine their own abortion policy. So uh, there'll be a lot of states that'll be like Texas um, and a lot of other states that'll be off the chart now. We don't need to worry about them. They'll, they will have total bans on abortion or almost total bans on abortion. And we can start focusing in on the states where that's not the case. Um, and there's going to be a lot of uh, things. I think if you were having this conversation a year from now, and maybe we will have a conversation a year from now, and say, what's, what's unique? What do we not anticipate to happen uh, during this past year after Roe was, was, was uh, reversed? Um, and there's going to be things that happen that we can't predict right now, just like there's been things in the past phase one that happened that we couldn't have predicted. But um, so, but what we do predict is, is pretty vicious battles um, in these states. And especially you have completely godless environments like California and New York, um, Washington state, Oregon, Colorado, a lot of these states, uh, they're going to try to set up, and they're already doing it, setting up cottage industries in abortion. They're openly saying, uh, we want to welcome you. Come to California, come to wherever, and have your abortions here. California even has a proposal right now. Uh, I don't know if it'll pass or not, but there's a proposal in their legislature for California taxpayers to pay the travel expenses and the abortion costs for women that want to come from other states. So if a woman wanted to come from Texas to have her baby killed in California, uh, they'll pay for her airfare, they'll pay for her hotel room, and they'll pay for the abortion and bring her back home free. Um, I don't know if the, if the taxpayers of California, the states that, that's slowly going bankrupt uh, and losing population to other states like Texas and Florida, uh, I don't know if the taxpayers will stand still for that given their financial situation. But uh, you never know. Yeah. Yeah, tough, tough to know exactly what's coming down the tube. And, and it's crazy. I mean, for many in our audience, we've got a lot of Americans who are tuning into the show, but we've got a lot of Canadians as well. And to, to help people understand that this is, uh, unfortunately, what we see day after day here in Canada, where, where all of the abortions in Canada, or almost all of them, are tax-funded, whether that's traveling even to the States for abortions, late-term abortions specifically. And so, um, obviously, this is a a brutal spot for Canada to be in, but there's been so much hope given to the Canadian and global pro-life movement by what you had said of, of hope that after 50 years or so of pro-abortion advocates and many pro-lifers, unfortunately, as well, saying that Roe will never be overturned, we should divert our attention elsewhere. I'm, I'm sure that um, th those pro-lifers saying that to you pained you almost more than the pro-abortion supporters telling you, you know, you have to ignore Roe v. Wade, move on with your life, find an issue that, that has been lost already. Um, but I, I guess let's 
take a, I want to ask a deeper dive question into the state level. And so presumably we're going to see pro-life organizations trying to target pro-abortion states and pro-abortion organizations or entities trying to put pressure on pro-life states. What does that look like? What what do you think the natural targets are for the the natural battlegrounds? I'm sure the places like Texas and California are pretty well divided. Where do you anticipate the major battles to really get played out um, in America? Because I'm sure there's some that are kind of on the on the knife's edge as to whether or not they're going to swing towards banning abortions or swing towards embracing them and setting up that cottage industry that you mentioned of welcoming other um, abortion-minded mothers to come and kill their children in their states. Well, you're going to see a lot of uh, saber rattling, especially mm-hmm. by the pro-abortion side regarding economic issues and they're going to say oh we're not going to uh, we're not we're going to boycott states that prohibit abortion um, we're not going to buy products from states that prohibit abortion um, you're going to see a lot of saber rattling in that i think they're going to have a hard time for example here in the united states i think the numbers right now are 85 percent of all the oil refined in america is refined in texas Um, are these people going to quit driving their cars because they have to buy oil from Texas? Uh, I doubt it. That's not going to happen. Um, so, and, and, you know, we, we had a situation in, um, um, during the black lives matter thing, um, where the, the uh, major league baseball, um, uh, all-star game was going to be held in Georgia. Well, because they didn't like what Georgia did related to all those issues, they moved the all-star game out of Georgia. Well, uh, attendance at major league baseball games and viewership of major league baseball games on television plummeted after that. And it's never recovered. It's still lower right now than it was. So I think a lot of times these, these, um, threats by the pro aborts, uh, evaporate, um, in, in the real world, but there's going to be a lot of, um, activity, and pro-abortion groups coming into states that are marginal. They're probably not going to come to Texas. They're not going to come to Alabama or Oklahoma or Louisiana or Arkansas. They're not going to come to those states, but they might come to states that are on the borderline that they think they can have influence on. They're also going to be coming to Canada and to Mexico. And I think, you know, your government has already made it clear that they are going to do whatever it takes to support women who want to come to Canada and kill their children there. Um, so we can, we can see that the American pro aborts will be uh, working with Canadian pro aborts to make those sort of things happen. As far as Mexico goes, you're seeing this push. Abortion is, is illegal in major parts of Mexico, but you're seeing a big push down there to make it legal. And all the people that are lobbying uh, I've had a few people that have talked to me from Mexico about this, and they're saying, when we go into our legislatures, what we see are lawyers from the United States down here lobbying for abortion to be legal. What's that all about? Why do they care if we have abortions or not? Well, why they care is because the largest border shared with Mexico among American states is Texas. Texas is the most pro-life state that they have to worry about. I don't have any doubt in my mind that they're looking at putting abortion clinics just inside the, the, the border of Mexico, uh, right up against Texas and start advertising uh, again, like a cottage industry, like New York and California and some other States are saying they're going to do. 
So it's going to get it's going to get interesting, and in how we deal with those issues, um, I don't know. It depends on how the issue com- what issue comes up and how it's couched. But um, you can bet that the the pro aborts are going to be very innovative when it comes to looking for new ways to kill these babies. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I re- spoke recently at our March for Life here in, in Edmonton, Alberta, the, in the provincial capital of, of the province that I live in. And, and a lot of the message was, we are waited with bated breath for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but we need to be prepared for it because Canada, like you mentioned, is going to be a sanctuary place and work is going to get a lot different and a lot harder in some ways in Canada as we help people understand why abortion is not an appropriate solution to whatever a mom or a dad might be going through. And I guess as as crazy as this sounds, for, for guys like us who work full-time in the movement, who live and breathe what's going on in this realm, there's already people that I see posting on social media or we've, we've talked to on street corners and on doorsteps who are what is even happening? I, I know nothing about abortion. I This has been put on my radar. I have uh, religion politics um, are things that I don't want to talk about. And so I haven't engaged on the abortion issue at all. I'm sure there probably aren't many people in America that are thinking about this for the first time, but they might be thinking about this seriously for the first time. What kind of opportunity does that give to the pro-life movement, especially with the the undercover and expose work that you guys have done at Life Dynamics and the anchoring components of exposing the abortion industry and abortion itself? Do you see this as an opportunity to leverage people's kind of awakening on the issue, if I if I dare to use that term? Or, or what do you see as the opportunity that lies before the pro-life movement with this overturning with regards to the educational component of the abortion issue? Well, that's definitely going to be an issue is uh, education. And, um, but, but what the main thing you have to understand is that the ability to educate the, the American people, or in your case, the Canadian people, but here, uh, educate the American people about the realities of abortion takes on a whole new meaning now. Because before you could make an argument, before Roe versus Wade was overturned, and I've had people make this argument to me, I've had pro boards make this argument to me in debates that I've been in. Well, they'll say, look, um, you guys can believe whatever you want to believe, and you can convince whoever you want to convince that you're right. But the fact is, it doesn't matter. What you believe and what the other people might believe is irrelevant. The Supreme Court has made this a constitutional issue. And in reality, what happened, and, and they were right, and, and what happened was the Supreme Court um, co-opted the issue back in 73 with Roe versus Wade and said to the American people, this is none of your business. This is our business. This is our issue. We will decide it. And what you believe and what you think and what you feel and what you want to do about abortion is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. But now all of a sudden, the abort- the Supreme Court removes itself from the abortion issue by saying it's a state's matter and sends it back to the states. And so now that's where the, now we're in the environment where only thing that matters is public opinion, because public opinion is what controls what statutes are passed in the legislatures. So we went, it, it just, totally 180 degrees. We went from the Supreme Court is all that matters and public opinion doesn't matter at all to the Supreme Court doesn't matter and public opinion is all that matters. And so it's it's our ability to influence the public on the abortion issue is now exponentially more important than it ever has been. And we need to realize that. 
and that the issue, the, the statistics, excuse me, the strategies that we used to get to where we are today won't necessarily get us to where we want to be tomorrow. And so we have to kind of reevaluate things. And here at Life Dynamics, we're working on a new project called Operation Homefront, in which we're going to show the average, everyday, ordinary pro-lifer who's been shut out of this issue now for almost 50 years. Now, and point out to them, your voice is the only one that matters. And here's what you can do in your local community to end abortion. This issue, I, I can't speak to, to Canada, but I can certainly speak to this issue as it regards the United States. And I can tell you that this issue is going to be one state by state, city by city, block by block, or it's not going to be one at all. We're going to win it in our local communities. You know, there's no saying all politics is local. This is a classic example of that concept. All politics is local. And um, so we're going to have to start working in our local communities. If we make our local communities pro-life, the national federal scene will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and that idea of, of it coming, whether you want to use the, the motif of, of the trenches and, and the person right across the, the street or whether, whether this is just your friends, your family members, your coworkers, I feel like this will be a little bit of gut check time eh, for, for pro-lifers to ask, you know what, I, I've been voting on, on the federal ballot box kind of thing for a pro-life candidate, but now action, like you said, is going to be local. This, this is going to be a, somebody's going to have to talk to my neighbor, my friend, my, my coworker, my family member, so that we ensure that our, our city, our state, our region remains pro-life. I, I feel like this is going to put a, a much higher um, incentive on pro-lifers to be able to get involved, get educated on how to actually talk to people. What, what do they need to know when they're talking to their neighbor, when they're talking to somebody um, at their work? I, people have been asking me for years, um, Cam, how do I bring abortion up naturally in conversation? And I, I feel like we're not going to have to worry about that, especially in America for quite a while, especially in these next couple of weeks here, because it's going to be coming up on their own because people are going to be reading headlines and everything. And so if, if you were going to give listeners a couple of talking points on what they need to know and what they need to be able to convey to their pro-choice or apathetic coworker, friend, neighbor, whatever, what would your top, you need to know this, you need to be able to convey this to somebody in your sphere of influence, what would those items be? Well, what I think it, you know, one of the things that happens is you, you hear this all the time and we heard it a bunch this last weekend. Oh, this is a complicated issue. It's not a complicated issue. It's a very simple issue. If the unborn child is a living human being and all the science and all the bi biology says they are living human beings, you can't kill them. And because morally, if, if they're living human beings, they're no different than a five-year-old. So if you can't, if, if an issue that you're using or an or a argument that you're using to justify abortion wouldn't justify killing a five-year-old, then the argument is no good. You've got to tell me why an argument that you're using to justify killing a a, an unborn baby would not justify killing a three-year-old, or you're going to have to show me how a three-year-old and a five-year-old are different if they're both living human beings, which the biology says they are. So it's not really a complicated issue. The pro-aborts like to make it complicated. And one of the things that we're doing, uh, I said we're developing a thing to show people how to uh, become pro-life in their local communities and what they can do about it there. 
but one of them is new rhetoric. And we're, what we're doing is we're, I've gone back, I have written millions of words of rhetoric on this issue over the years. And we've published books. I've got two books out right now on how to argue the pro-life movement. And um, we're having to revisit all of that because the times have changed now. The arguments have to be shorter. Uh, what we now know is that people's attention spans are very short. Um, we live in a kind of bumper sticker mentality. And if you can't make an argument in 30 seconds or a minute, then people aren't going to listen to you. And you can see that, for example, uh, in uh, commercials on television. It was not uncommon when I was a kid for commercials to be two or three minutes long. Uh, I can remember Chevrolet commercials that were three minutes long. Nowadays, they're selling cars using five-second commercials. Honda has a new series of five-second commercials out right now selling $40,000 cars because they've discovered that people's attention spans are short. They're not conceptual thinkers. Um, and so you have to reach them at a very basic level. And um, so we're taking all of the pro-abortion arguments and we're going to have about 300 different examples and we're, we're going to be taping these and putting them out uh, on the Internet and putting them out for radio stations. 300 different arguments dis destroying the pro-abortion side and pushing the pro-life side. And all of them are less than a minute long because we have that's what we have to do. We cannot get into these long diatribes like we used to get into. I can remember over 35 years ago when I first got into this, when I first got into it full time and I'd be doing debates, you'd sometimes have arguments on one side to one issue that lasted five to 10 minutes. You don't get that anymore. Uh, you, you don't have that option anymore. Um, so we've got to make these arguments succinct and short and to show the absolute idiocy of almost every pro-choice argument that's out there. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to see that series. And and I think that, like you said, the tightening up is so valuable. And and that's why we actually have a policy with uh, within CSPR that all of our speakers, whoever's teaching apologetics, has to regularly be having conversations on street corners and on doorsteps because you can wind this wonderful analogy that takes you eight minutes to, oh. to unpack. But that's not going to work with anyone when you're sitting across the lunchroom table or talking to somebody on a street corner. Um, they're not going to stick around long enough to listen to you. Um, I mean, not to throw too much shade towards a, a cabin in the woods kind of thing, but, but we need to tighten things up so that people can get the essence of the pro-life worldview and how, like you said, asinine the, the pro-abortion arguments often are. I, I cannot wait to see that, that video series. Well, let me, um, let me give you an example of that, what I'm talking yep. about. Uh, and this is timely because you're seeing it on, on television ever few minutes now, uh, the coat hanger, right? That's become a symbol for the, for the pro-abortion side. And they hold up these coat hangers and they, they put fake blood on them and know they're, they're going to be killed with these coat hangers. But nobody's ever pointed out about that argument is that pro-lifers don't do abortions. So what that means is if, if abortion's illegal in a state and all of a sudden women start dying from coat hangers, it was pro-choice people that killed them, not pro-life people. The coat hangers were in their hands. And what they're literally doing is they're, sa they're saying to the, to the public, if you don't let us kill babies, we're going to kill women. And that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. And, and it, when you make that kind of argument, people say, wait a minute, 
I never thought about that, but that's right. It's not the pro-lifers that'll be killing these people. It's the pro-choice people. Every woman that was ever killed, every woman that was ever maimed, every woman that was ever put in a nursing home, every woman that was ever raped while having an abortion. The vic- she was the victim. The victimizer was somebody who was pro-choice. So why should we take responsibility for women they're threatening to kill? Yeah. And so yeah. we can make these arguments. I didn't do it right now, but we're writing rhetoric that'll show how you make that argument in 30 seconds to a minute. And that's what we have to do. We have to have start have, you know, get people to start thinking about this issue in ways they haven't thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. We will definitely be sharing some of those around as soon as those get published, which is fantastic. Last question I wanted to throw your way, Mark, because um, I'm sure that I could take up your whole afternoon here. Um, but la- last one I wanted to ask. So in a lot of these, um, with it going back towards public opinion on the state level and whatnot, um, I'm, I'm sure that Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers are probably not going to be wanting to put on display the work that they're doing. And I'm sure that seeing how the pro-abortion industry, how the pro-abortion movement actually functions is probably not going to win a lot of hearts and minds towards the pro-abortion cause. And so I'm wondering, as much as I'm sure they're going to be targeting um, pregnancy care centers and inadequate support offered to moms and some mom in, in the middle of Texas who asked for all of this support and somehow didn't get it, I'm sure they're going to struggle to find a pregnancy care center that's not willing to bend over backwards to support a, a pregnant mom who needs help. But with all of the research that you've done as as an individual, but also that has been done in the movement, exposing the horrors of the pro-abortion movement, do you feel like that's going to be a catalyst for for provoking change in some of these swing states and maybe even some of these entrenched American states when they realize just how ugly the abortion industry and abortion itself is? Do you feel like that's going to be a tool to, you know what, I, I really want abortion to be accessible on principle, but all of these reports of how Planned Parenthood or other abortion providers are actually treating mothers um, and their children, I simply can't support. Do you feel like that's something that is going to come in a, a whole new level because of the um, kind of impact of public awareness, public opinion on the abortion conversation at the state level, or where do you see that kind of playing out? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that, but let's point out two things. There's a, there's a, um, an old saying about the law, the legal profession, that the law is a teacher. And what that means is if something is illegal, that increases the number of people who think it should be illegal. If something is legal, that increases the number of people who think it should be legal. And so the, the, the worm has turned here. It's 180 degrees different today than it was this time last week. And as time goes by, that law is a teacher concept is going to take root. Um, the other thing is, and I think this is where you're seeing a lot of the anger and the threats of violence and, and so forth coming from the other side. Um, they're now being, being caught lying through their teeth about something that we've, we've known they've lied through their teeth about forever. They've already said that there's, there's a thing in the, in the United States called the pro-choice majority and that we have no right to try to push our agenda because the overwhelming majority of the American people, they'll say 70 to 75% of the American people favor unrestricted abortion on demand. That's a lie and it always was a lie. But now 
what they're doing is, what the parole boards are doing is, they're agreeing that it's a lie. And what I mean by that is this. The abortion issue now has been taken out of the courts and put into the political system. Well, the political system is where the majority rules. So if you think, if you honestly believe that 70% of the American people is pro-choice, why would you be upset that the abortion issue is going back into the political process? You're going to win right there and then it's over for sure. So why would you be upset? You're, they're upset because their lie is being exposed. They know good and well that they don't, that this pro-choice majority is a unicorn. Doesn't exist. They're riding around and back and forth on the back of a unicorn. And they are now being exposed. That is being exposed to the public. And it's going to be exposed even further as time goes on. This pro-choice majority that they've always claimed that they that uh, we were opposed to simply does not exist. It's not there. And that's about to be proven. And they know it is. And there's nothing they can do about it. And, and the, the public majority, just like the law, like you said, is a teacher as well. And as more and more states start falling, I'm sure there's going to be some people that dig in, um, in in defense, but I'm sure there's going to be other people who are either on the fence, apathetic, unsure, and realizing, oh my goodness, this isn't just the backwater flyover states of wherever, but rather these are gigantic, influential states. These are small communities. These are all sorts of places that are very strongly pro-life and and this was accepted with overwhelming majority in my community maybe i'm the odd one out maybe i'm the radical and not the pro-lifer who thinks that killing a, a child to solve a problem i've been convinced by the media and by the supreme courts by the pro-abortion movement for so long that pro-lifers are radicals that are unreasonable and fringe minorities and all that kind of language and now i'm realizing that my staunch support of ripping apart children to solve problems simply is not where most reasonable people are at. And maybe I'm the radical, maybe I'm the weirdo for thinking that a mother deserves only to have her child ripped apart in her womb rather than her struggles, challenges, problems actually addressed with genuine solutions that are actually going to help her. Um, and not, well, not even yeah. band-aids. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, imagine if you, for a moment, and this, I think this is going to have an impact on other countries, uh, it, it's certainly going to have impact on other states within the United States. But let's just say in Canada, where you have the same uh, godless degenerates that we have here, out here saying uh, the streets are going to be running, that blood will be running down the gutters of women killed in botched abortions if you outlaw abortion. Well, what happens if in Texas, the second most populous state in the union, um, we, we abortion is over here, right? And let's say that two years from now, if I go out to lunch, I'm not having to step over the dead bodies of women killed by botched abortions. How valid is that argument in other places then? How valid is it in other states when they in their state legislature when they try to go in and say women are going to die and by the bushel basket full? Well, why didn't that happen before Roe? And why hasn't it happened now in states that have outlawed abortion? And you might see that in Canada, um, where uh, you go into one of your provincial uh, legislatures and you try to somebody tries to say, well, if we outlaw abortion, women are going to be killed by the by the bushel basket full. Can't you say, well, wait a minute. What about Texas? Texas has almost the same population as the entire country of Canada. Yep. <laughs> well, 
you know, why aren't we stepping over the dead bodies of women killed by botched abortions every time I go out to eat lunch? And we heard this several years ago when Texas passed some restrictions. And to be honest with you, I've never seen one dead body laying out in the streets uh, since that restriction was passed. But we were told that if we pass those restrictions, that's what was going to happen. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm just blind, but I've been here all my life. I haven't seen it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And you know, without a doubt that if it happened, even if it wasn't on the, on the street that you're going to lunch over, like if it happened anywhere, it would be front front page news oh. on every single newspaper out there, which is mind boggling, right? I mean, the, the same thing we, we've been having it for bubble zones and whatnot for people apparently harassing people going into abortion facilities. And you know, for a fact that if ever there was video footage of a pro-lifer harassing a pro-abortion person or a mom going in to have an abortion, um, that would be everywhere, everywhere on social media, everywhere on the internet, everywhere, everywhere. And the same thing goes with that. And, and I think that Texas and countless other states have that incredible opportunity to demonstrate that maternal health doesn't plummet as soon as abortion is made illegal. That women, like you said, aren't dying in the street by the, the droves as soon as abortion is made illegal. And that you can actually have a very high functioning and a superiorly high functioning society in which abortion is not actually being uh, performed week after week. Um, I'm sure there's going to be, I know that um, Bernard Nathanson has become, since become a, a pro-life hero and whatnot, but I'm sure there's going to be many who are going to quote faulty statistics. The pro-abortion movement, like you've mentioned, is uh, has make a, made a business and career out of lying. Um, I'm sure there's going to be reports as to how many um, mothers are, are dying from abortions. But like you said, as soon as the evidence comes out, you have that rebuttal right away that the pro-life movement didn't kill that woman any more than they killed that child. Um, and so I, I think that there's a, an incredible opportunity for states like Texas and others to demonstrate to the world that abortion is not necessary for mothers to survive, for good maternal health care, for um, support of families and all that kind of thing. And so oh, very, very cool. They're, I guarantee you the pro-abortion are going to really stretch this thing out. It's, it's almost inevitable. Let's say that a woman is, is uh, in Texas. She wants to kill her baby. She can't. One of these networks says, well, uh, we're going to give you this name of an abortion mill in Colorado where you can go and have your baby killed there. And so she gets in her car and she's in here in Dallas, Fort Worth area or whatever. And she starts driving and she gets in a car wreck. And let's say she's killed, unfortunately. Her name is going to be a household name within 24 hours and the pro boards are going to make a, a big thing and say, well, this is an example of a woman who because she had to travel outside Texas, lost her life. And this wouldn't have happened had she been able to get an abortion in her community. It wouldn't happen if she had chosen not to kill her baby. You know, where is the responsibility of the person who made the decision? And, uh, you know, again, back to this deal, women dying in botched abortions, the pro-life movement is going to get blamed for those. But the fact is, if a woman dies from a botched illegal abortion, A, she was killed by somebody that was pro-choice, and B, she was killed because she chose to break the law. That's the long and short of it. We didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to point towards all the support that is available, the the financial, the emotional, the family, the, the psychological, spiritual, the whole kind of support that, that is um, on display from the pro-life movement. I think that this is a, another phenomenal time for the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement to show their strength and to show um, people the opportunity 
right? If and and this is something I love telling people while I'm out door knocking or doing street activism about, you know, can we agree that most people don't want to have abortions? They feel like it's their only option. They feel like it's their last resort. Most people don't wake up and decide I'm going to become pregnant tonight so that I can have an abortion eight weeks from now or whatever. And so if you don't want people dying in car accidents while they're traveling to Colorado for an abortion because they didn't think that they had sufficient support, then then get involved. Make sure that there is support available so that she doesn't have to drive to Colorado so that she doesn't have to kill her baby or so she doesn't think that she has to kill her baby. I feel like there's a, a great opportunity to leverage this for people who even conceptually are still grappling with the idea of abortion not being on the table, if we've removed it from the table, then let's work together to make all of the other options that are on the table as accessible, as sufficient as possible so that uh, moms that are legitimately faced with tough situations get the help they need and aren't lied to and tricked into trying to travel all the way up to um, Colorado or California or wherever they're going. Um, because somebody lied to them and told them that by killing their baby, all their problems would be fixed. Well, so. it's always been interesting to me yeah. that the abortion lobby tries to justify abortion and, and tries to say, we have no right to even express an opinion or be involved in this, or we just need to sit down and sh- keep our mouth shut. And they'll say, look, this is the toughest decision a woman will ever have to make, and you have no right to interfere. Well, first off, why is it the toughest decision a woman will ever have to make? It's because she knows she's killing a baby. But here's what here's my question to them. If you agree that this is the toughest decision a woman will ever have to make, why is it that the only thing you'll do for that woman is help her make the toughest decision that she ever had to make in the decision she didn't want to make? Why is that the only thing you'll do for her? You're not operating any crisis pregnancy centers. You're not pushing any programs to help that woman. The only thing you're doing is pushing a program that will help her buy an abortion from you. And so how does that make you the pro-woman side of this argument? Yeah, I'd probably load her up with contraception on her way out as well so that she's coming right back in a year later. So no, absolutely. (laughs) Gotcha. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time and and joining me. I I do look forward, whether it's a year from now, whether it's six months from now, let's queue up again to to talk a little bit about the things we didn't see coming and the things that have been able to kind of manifest the way that we did anticipate. This has been a blast. I wish you all the best with the the new uh, campaign and initiative coming out and for all the other incredible pro-life work that you guys are doing to help make America abortion-free ultimately. And and by extension, Canada. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. We, we need all the help we can get. And so uh, we love the insight, the, the support. Um, well, we're going to drop a, a couple of links to your website, lifedynamic.com, um, as well as to the, the books that you guys have. And I know that you guys have a, a ton of other content on, out there, a um, bunch of different series from past abortion providers and all sorts of folks. And so a ton of good stuff on your website. And we're going to try to get people as plugged in as possible so that they can be prepared for whatever conversations they're going to be encountering. I appreciate your having me on. All right, folks. Mark Crutcher, Life Dynamics. Um, I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Really, really cool guy and love his take on how this has put the abortion conversation back into your and my hands. This is something that puts it back into the democratic process of the nation, um, at the state level, at the municipal level, and I'm sure at some point at the federal level as well. And so there's no time like the present. uh, The words that are often attributed to um, Edmund Burke, 
of if not you, then who, if not now, then when. Um, now's the time to make hay, folks. Now's the time to engage friends and family in compassionate, compelling conversations about abortion because as Mark laid out, this is something that's going to be a tug of war at the state level trying to help people um, vote in the right direction. It's not just about political ends. This is about education. This is about providing pastoral support as well. And yet um, we have a beautiful opportunity through those two ends to highlight the pastoral support that is available through the education that we're doing on street corners and on doorsteps with groups like CCBR and countless other groups. It's not just a conversation that's happening in America. It's happening around the world. Um, for those tuning in on YouTube, uh, you can see that I got a weird background right now. I am in the basement of a host home in North Vancouver, British Columbia. We're doing a bunch of pro-life outreach in the Vancouver area right now. Um, it's a blast to connect with these wonderful folks out here as hosts, as volunteers. Um, I'm doing a training tonight in North Vancouver, time of recording, about how to have compassionate, compelling conversations about abortion. You can see a similar presentation on our YouTube channel, I believe, Pro-Life Guys podcast on YouTube. Um, but it's been really cool. And now is the time for us to make hay. Like I said, now we have to be the ones who are prepared for this because the conversations are happening, whether we want to be a part of them or not. And if pro-life people are not a part of them, then pro-life people are going to get pushed to the sidelines and we are not going to be as effective as we need to be. We need to be more engaging. We need to be more um, compelling. We need to be more compassionate. Now, it's something that I'm striving for day in and day out. Um, God is good in blessing the conversations that I'm having. Just yesterday, I was in downtown Vancouver. I talked to eight people in the span of an hour on the corner of Robson and Burrard, one of the busiest intersections in Vancouver. Uh, I talked to eight folks. Five of them became fully pro-life within the span of a conversation by God's grace. Um, a couple of them took pamphlets to learn more about how they can get involved in the pro-life movement. This is not something that only the elite of the pro-life movement can do, as you've heard from the podcast. I am not an elite human being in, in any stretch of the imagination. I just got an awful lot of experience, and I want to give that experience to you. And so if you have topics that you want to learn about, you have topics that you want um, episodes on. We have cool guests coming up. Uh, we've got Josh Brom coming out here relatively shortly. We've got other folks coming. I've got a few lined up from um, people who have actually reached out to me, which is really cool. I've got a rep from Medical uh, Future Medical Professionals of America. I believe, as well as um, a sidewalk counseling group coming in here because whatever pro-life ministry you're a part of, whether you're doing stuff like I am on street corners and on doorsteps showing the reality of what abortion does to preborn children as the evidence that abortion kills weak and vulnerable children and engage them in conversation, whether you're a sidewalk counselor, whether you're somebody who um, is, is praying outside of abortion facilities, whether you are praying in your home community, whether you're simply talking to your friends and family about abortion when it comes up, it is so vital that you have the tools that you need to be able to leave um, a lasting impression and the pro-life worldview that we cannot solve these very real problems by killing innocent humans. That's something that we need to be able to convey and communicate. And so I hope that you've uh, enjoyed the conversation with Mark Crutcher today. I hope that you tune in again next week for the conversation I'm having then. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day, however long is left in it.